All right, welcome back to another meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow. You have myself, Dustin Laiswithbeeve, the Troop Scout leader, across from me. Denim Wall, I am the Troop Historian. And in between the two Wall Boys, you have myself, as always, I'm Miles, aka Chief Runs With Bins, and today we've got a special guest sitting across from me is... Curtis, or known as Dances With McDoubles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming into the clubhouse today, Curtis. It's great to see you. It's good to be here. Uh, I have tuned in on a few of the episodes, and now it's nice to be able to get uh, in a front row seat while eating my cheeseburgers instead of in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you may uh, remember Kurt Masher from a uh, previous episode in season one. He sits in in the clubhouse and eats. <laughs> That's what he does. Dairy he Queen, <laughs> Wendy's, McDonald's, anything. And we finally got rid of that musty old tip of the spear, and now we got room for Kurtman. <laughs> <laughs> so to begin this meeting, uh, like we do the rest, let's have our straight arrow oath. So for those of you in scout uniform, three-finger salute. Those at home in civilian clothes, hand over your heart. And repeat after the historian. A straight arrow tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. When you flush on a submarine... Where it goes, a straight arrow knows. And a straight arrow is always against Bill H.R. 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane. Can I get a round table, Wima Tanya? Wima Tanya! So, let's kick this meeting off with some episode info from our historian. Yeah, so, anyway, this is the 11th episode of Season 2. It's the 23rd episode overall, and we have caught up because the company man is now in this counting, so we're back on track. Uh, the 23rd episode, I'm going to mention now and hopefully remember at the end of the episode. This episode is entitled The Unbearable Blindness of Laying. Um, it first aired on December 21st, 1997. I want to mention the next episode is going to be The Manger Babies um, because... We've been requested to <laughs> for to Clarify. try and remember to let you guys know what one's up next. Yeah, uh, so I mentioned that now, the Manger Babies. Maybe try and remind me again at the end. We'll try and get that in. Um, but yeah, so this one, as I said, is aired on December twenty first. It is the Christmas special uh, episode. You don't say. It's the fr it's yeah. It'll be their first one. Um, and yeah, it's directed by uh, first time director Cindy Tang Loveland. She had worked at King of the Hill for a very long time. Well, I guess it'd only been around for a year, This, but she'd been around since, I guess, Peggy the Boggle Champ. Mm. Uh, she was a, a storyboard animator for that one, as well as assistant director. Um, she had a few assistant directing credits, but this is her first director credit. <clears throat> this is the start of a long relationship with King of the Hill. She worked there until 2006. Um, nice. Yeah. yeah. And as with every, literally every other director, she worked on The Simpsons. <laughs> but also, related to The Simpsons, she worked on The Critic. She worked on The Critic. <laughs> Does anybody remember The Critic? The what? The Critic. <laughs> no clue. Oh, uh, that episode of John Lovett's episode of Simpsons, where he's the critic. Oh, the, the movie, the short film festival one. Is that it? Well, the one with John Lovitz, where he's a movie critic, yeah. He, yeah. Comes, he come, becomes a judge on the Springfield okay, Film yeah. Festival. Yeah. And he's the, that's his character from the show The Critic. Oh, okay. It's like a, I don't know if that was the spinoff or crossover. I've never actually seen The Critic. I just know that that episode of The Simpsons had, like, The Critic in it. 
Um, yeah, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> so the writer of this one is Paul Lieberstein. This is his fourth writing credit for King of the Hill, and he's going to stick around for quite a while longer. His previous three were Luann's Saga, King of the Ant Hill, and How to Fire a Rifle Without Really Trying. But what is left to say about Paul anymore? I feel like his episodes have a theme to them, but I haven't been able to quite put my finger on it yet. It's like maybe the the pacing or something about it, how they all just seem... Good? Sl- like, they're, they're, <laughs> they're good, but they seem like uh, slow episodes, and not in a bad way, necessarily. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right. I would I would agree. I would maybe say the How to Fire Your Rifle isn't super slow. I mean, have you ever seen him act? He's not exactly the most energetic character. <laughs> 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 Nothing wrong with it. It's just his style. <laughs> um, but yeah, so also just another little fun fact about episode info here. This is this is the last episode of 1997. Uh, that's, oh, oh, yeah. It, yeah. This will be the end of our first year of King of the Hill. This is 97 it started, and this is the last one. So, I don't have much to say, but it's interesting, I thought. Well, thanks for that, historian. Did uh, this episode come with a director intro slide? It did, yeah. It was a really good one, actually. So, it was a re- just a red background with Bobby sitting at a little tiny piano, cross-legged on the floor. Yeah. And it had a little Christmas tree on like the piano. Like the Peanuts piano, kind of? Uh, kind of. And then uh, there was uh, the dog, uh, Ladybird was right beside him, curled up. And then, yeah, he was playing Peanuts. <laughs> he was just straight up just playing Peanuts well, <laughs> on the piano. Was it the Peanuts or was it that Peanuts? No, it was the it was the it one. was the Peanuts one. Yeah, it's the director's slide, so they can get away with it. Yeah, right? they didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, and yeah, it was uh, it it it. And then he didn't. It didn't actually have any text to say the episode, oh, but okay. it did. He did just have Bobby when he was finished playing the piano. He says, "I like that. That I like." Oh, perfect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the synopsis of this one is Hank experiences temporary blindness when his mother visits for Christmas. That's about it. Now we'll dive right into this episode. First scene is a funny little montage. It kind of pans through Rainy Street showing Bill, Boomhauer, and Hank all putting up their Christmas lights. Now Boomhauer just takes a tangled up <laughs> mess of Christmas lights out of a box, throws them on a windowsill, and just turns them on. That's about it. I like, though, the deleted scenes are really... There's a really funny deleted scene um, after we see... I assume it would be after we see all the guys' poor attempts at Christmas. And then Bobby's listing off, like, a plastic snowman and a big Santa for the roof. And mm, just, like, all the this tackiest, tackiest shit. And Hank was just like, now, you see, Bobby, we don't need to overdo it. <laughs> we don't need to impress these neighbors. They need to keep up with us. <laughs> <laughs> No, Hank had a very strict regiment about his Christmas lights. They had to be in a certain order. And while that scene was going on, I looked in the background at all of the Christmas lights, and they actually were colored in exactly how he was describing. It was red, white, blue, green, red, white, blue, uh, all the way along. Yeah, I definitely did the same thing. <laughs> I was looking at it, I was like, I want to see how much he stuck to this regiment. And of course he did. He did, yeah. Being Hank. See, Hank's a, Hank's a thrifty guy, too, right? Because all the ones that were former colors last year, they're now white, so he can reuse them without <laughs> buying new bulbs and just put them in place. He's smart. But, yeah, of course, then Peggy, he tells Peggy that he's not comfortable meeting his mother's new gentleman friend. <laughs> well, I guess she used to call him gentleman friend, and now it's a boyfriend. Yeah, and I like it when shows do this, where they start a conversation and then switch scenes and continue the conversation like it didn't miss a beat because they're in the airport now. She said gentleman friend. I didn't know it was the same thing. 
I thought they'd just sit and have tea and talk about how good the tea is, you know, not too hot, that kind of thing. I, my, our Nana got a new boyfriend, and that's exactly what I imagine them talking about. Yeah, like, nothing else. Yeah, nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's actually weird thing like as, as Peggy mentions to Hank that his mom's uh, flight arrives in half an hour she goes aren't you excited to see your mom and Hank goes of course I haven't seen her in two years and that just seems so weird for me to Hank to go two years without seeing his mom like in, in season one we don't meet her but he always talks about her in like the highest regard imaginable and like always feels guilty about the things he did as a child but he goes two years without seeing them and Arizona is not that far from Texas Do you think he wants to go to Arizona hell no it's <laughs> so hot there <laughs> And, like, yeah, he also, like, doesn't really favor his dad that much. And he's seen him, like, eight times in the past season. Well, seven of those were flashbacks. <laughs> and we get a really good flashback right here. Just a brief one um, of uh, Cotton using Tilly as a footstool. Literally. Rub-a-dub-dub, I think I'm in love. <laughs> now, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask Dustin, did you notice his beer that he was drinking? Oh, I actually didn't. So I was—I took a look at it, and I thought, maybe that's, like, the old-school Alamo cans. Because it was, like, more orangey, like, amber-colored. Okay, because that must be one that we haven't seen yet, because we only... It didn't, also didn't say Alamo, because it wasn't detailed, but yeah, it had the stripe in the middle. Okay. So I was like, it's probably, maybe they're, they're saying, like, oh, it's an old can. Like yeah, it's the old there was school. also that nice sepia tint on the flashback yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they've got a little uh, Houston... Addition of oh, Alamo, maybe. maybe. Maybe it's just slightly different with the logistics there. But it's weird because, like, this episode is the first one. Um, Hank, like, obviously not to Con's face, but he really, like, you know, de like degrades his father and he doesn't speak to him very highly. And when in prior episodes, Hank, like, defends him to the death. Like, yeah. Con could do no wrong with this one. He's just like, my mom had the good sense to leave my dad, you know, because he's such an ass. And it was just like a sh subtle shift in Hank's thinking towards, towards Con. And I noticed it again later, but uh, I'll bring it up when it happens. But you're right. I noticed that, too, that his that his opinion is definitely, like, we're being told that it's shifted from what we once knew of the respect that he had for his dad. So finally at the airport, uh, we finally get to see Tilly Hill. Or do we know her maiden name? Uh, no, it's just Tilly Hill. Okay, on. Tilly Hill, that's okay. So we meet Tilly Hill, uh, and she greets uh, Peggy and Hank, and uh, Hank's obviously very unimpressed that she's limping with her hands full of baggage. Yeah. I love uh, Hank's, like, cursing the new boyfriend, Gary, and <laughs> Peggy's like... Peggy says they would have made him a stalking, but they didn't know how to spell Gary. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? How many fucking ways can you spell Gary? <laughs> like, <this is> such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> On the way to the airport, Hank and Peggy were like, oh, shit, we didn't get a stalking for Gary. And like, that, I assume that's the dumbass excuse that they came up with. <laughs> Finally get to meet Tilly Hill in a speaking role because she's being mentioned twice prior uh, in the series, um, just usually in flashback role, she doesn't say anything. And this is the first of two speaking roles in season two. Over the length of the series, Tilly Hill is voiced by three different women, Beth Grant, uh, Catherine Callan, and the original voice who we are hearing in this episode, country music legend, Tammy Wynette. Of, uh, yeah, Stand By Your Man fame. Uh, sadly, Tammy passed away April 6, 1998 at the age of 55 after voicing Tilly for just two episodes. Her last acting credit actually is a King of the Hill episode um, that we'll see in a few, uh, Peggy's Turtle Song. Wow. 
you know, this was her uh, her last role. She was a singer. Yeah, she was a country music star in the 1970s. Like her and Dolly Parton were like in the same same era. Uh, I think I was mistaking her for Dolly Parton when you said her name. <laughs> Tammy Wynette. She was married to George Jones for a long time. Oh, uh, we talked about her. Yeah, she, she wasn't married to Willie Nelson. No. Oh, I thought she was married to Willie Nelson. No, she was married to George Jones. She was the second. Who like, was married to Willie Nelson? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but it was like the, the success that Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash had being like a married duet that also produces albums, which in turn led to the next decade being George Jones and Tammy Wynette. And yeah, she was uh, sold millions of records. Like she is, her nickname's the, like the queen of country music or something like that. She was uh, very well known. The queen. I, I think I'd give the crown to Dolly Parton. She's got Dolly Land. <laughs> Mom, we're in public, one hand only, okay? But I've missed you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and then in comes Gary Costner, Tilly's new uh, gentleman friend, or a boyfriend now. <laughs> and uh, he comes in, and his opening line, I believe, was... When you flush, where does it go? <laughs> and, you know, to me, that's one of those questions that I'd just rather not know the answer to. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I thought it just shot out the back. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen Joe Dirt, and I might have believed Joe Dirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny. Uh, Gary Gary finally comes out of the washroom after Hank's been, uh, like, basically talking shit to, about him before he's even met him because Tilly was carrying both of both of the yeah. suitcases. But Gary was just in the can. And he comes out, and he's wearing this matching fucking pale blue, yellow, pink, old person tracksuit, <laughs> which is, like, I'm matching. sure the common theme in these Arizona retirement communities. And he comes out, and, yeah, it's the first first of two appearances of Gary Kastner. This episode, and we also see him again in the season five episode, I Don't Want to Wait for Our Lives to Be Over, which is a very funny episode where Bobby actually goes to visit Gary and Tilly in Arizona for a couple weeks on his... Uh, his summer vacation. Now, Gary is voiced by Hollywood icon Carl Reiner, who has, has literally had a 70-year career in the entertainment <laughs> business. He worked with Mel Brooks in the 60s and 70s. He wrote and co-directed movies like The Jerk. He is a very well-known comedian. He's got a laundry list of awards under his name. Oscars, Grammys. Sorry, not Grammys. Oh, yeah, Grammys too, I think. He had a co comedy album. <laughs> He's got a, he also has a very successful son. Who made yeah. Spinal Tap? Yep, Rob Reiner. <laughs> I knew him best from Ocean's Eleven as playing. I believe it's it's not Saul. It's the other guy. I thought it was Saul or Sid. No, so, you know, I thought it was Saul. Is it Saul? I think it is Saul. Anyways, he's a he's a very good actor. Um, and is he still alive? Yep. Yes, he is. He is ninety-seven years old. So now, one of my favorite scenes of the episodes uh, follows their their visit at the airport, picking up Hank's mom and Gary, and Hank is arranging this or uh, trying to arrange the sleeping plan for Gary and Tilly while they're visiting the hill. He's house. arranged it. Yeah, he's arranged, he's arranged it. it. He bolted the cots down as an excuse not to move them. <laughs> yeah, and like like usually it's like the parents will like get a bed at least. For Gary, it's a cot in Bobby's room. And, yeah, and I mean, you would if 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 Hank was comfortable with them, you would think he would just shoo Luann out to the living room. Exactly, he doesn't want her. Den. He doesn't want her there to begin with. But no, <laughs> Tilly's supposed to sleep with Luann, and Gary's gonna sleep with Bobby. And Gary's like, no, 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 we're not gonna make a fuss. This couch, it pulls out. We'll just sleep in the living room. And Hank's like, oh, oh I don't think so. <laughs> 
And now I thought it was because he didn't want them to disturb his couch where he's going to be watching his TV or he's, where he's going to have his most of his general living. By disturbed, he does mean defile. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought he meant like maybe he gets er- up early and wants to watch yeah. like some news show in the living room or like a football thing or something. Really? I thought I totally thought he didn't want no, to fuck was, up right was, off the bat. It wasn't until he started scratching the back of his neck. And, Kermit, what did you think? Were you on the same path as Dustin and I, or, or were you with the denim thinking right away that Hank was uncomfortable with them sleeping in the same bed? I'm 100% with uh, denim on this one. I think You get your heads out of the gutter. He did not want them sleeping <laughs> on the couches because he did not want both of them to be on the couch. So he separately made <laughs> two beds. And, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, if there was ever a family friend, especially your grandma and grandpa coming, you were getting booted out of your room yeah. and you were good yeah. stuck on the blowout mattress. Exactly. It's like they've slept on enough couches in their lifetime. It's like they're a guest. Give yeah. give them a room. And then yeah, Hank takes his frustrations out to the alley to have a few beers with the boys and tells them all about his problems of his mom and her gentleman friend visiting. And uh, I and Hank lets Dale know his last name. So, he's Jewish. Yeah, Dale, he's Jewish. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Is he funny? Well, he doesn't seem too funny. Seinfeld's funny. Yeah, another Seinfeld reference in the first two seasons of The King of the Hill, and I believe we talked about this in the pilot when they're talking about Seinfeld, about that the writers or the creators of the show didn't want the first viewers of the pilot to think that they were these, like, backwood hicks without, like, TV and stuff like that. They, they were, they're rednecks, essentially, but they're in tune with, like, pop culture, sort of, and what's going on and what's popular in the world at the time. Yeah, like the historian was saying earlier, this is probably the biggest show in the world that they can mention, at least for comedy, uh, at this point in time. So it's pretty relevant to everyone. <laughs> yeah, much better than that Acquaintances show. <laughs> but I, I can't remember... Like exactly, but I think this might be one of the last Seinfeld references. But it's funny that like that's what they're comparing like a Jewish man to. But Hank is just like so against the man because he gave him a hug in a public place. <laughs> like Bo- her, Bill also compares him to Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, which I'm not touching. <laughs> Somebody says, suggests that Gary might be funnier than Cotton, and Boomhauer doesn't think Cotton's very funny. Cotton ain't no funny at all, man. He got the POW camp, man. I go bamboo shoots talking about him putting them in their own damn fingernails, man. Don't freak me out about that. There's actually a deleted scene where Boomhauer talks about a different story, I guess, about where Cotton may or may not have held a shotgun to his head. <laughs> Wait, to Boomhauer? Yeah, head? that's what it sounded like. <laughs> no wonder they don't get along very he, well. He like mumbled, was like, Cotton ain't no funny at all, man. Dang shotgun my head. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, Boomhauer legitly sound terrified of Cotton when he yeah. was saying, don't freak me out, man. Yeah, the, the deleted scene made it, like, more understandable as to why, but, like, because, I mean, everything else, I think Cotton's pretty funny. Well, does, does Hank have a sister that I don't know about? No. Oh, then I can't piece together why Boomhauer would have a shotgun against oh, Hank's his got head. a mom. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Boomhauer could have been a gentleman caller. Yeah, I don't know. The only other elderly person we've met in the series so far uh, also doesn't like Boomhauer. Uh, Papazito called him Jimmy Dean. That could be a compliment, though. Jury's still out. Yeah, it could be. But he did say he was going to sick his dog on him. <laughs> but it's funny because they're talking about uh, Hank brings up that Gary can't eat steak. And it's because he had a 
triple bypass surgery because he had an enlarged heart from, from you know, whatever. From what, Miles? Red meat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cholesterol. Sounds it, legit. That's unproven. <laughs> Don't believe it. Don't yeah. believe it dances with McDouble. Buck Strickland has has a triple bypass every year. Eats all the red meat he wants. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. And it's funny because Bill is confused about what the Jewish people find sacred. And uh, Bill thinks it's the cow. And Dale goes, no, you're thinking of the Hindus because uh, the cow is sacred to them. He goes, the pig is sacred to the Jews. And, well, fuck, Bill is not going to get into heaven by restricting his diet. <laughs> it just doesn't seem ethical. It just doesn't. <laughs> it's a waste of pudding. So now we get a scene of Bobby and Gary getting ready for bed, and this is when we actually start to see their relationship uh, just start and start to bud. It's actually uh, it's awesome because they are so much alike. And uh, Bobby's uh, shirtless looking at Gary buttoning up his, uh, his pajamas, and he says, Hey, we have the same build. Yeah, I guess so. But your skin is a little tighter. <laughs> it's so funny because Bobby picks up right away on uh, how Gary speaks, and it's, he thinks it's an Arizona thing, but it's, like a, it's an old Jewish bad thing. But I love, like... What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? But, like, I love, like, episodes that we've talked about recently. Like, in particular, Husky Bobby, when Peggy and Hank are driving Bobby to H. Dumpty's. And they're trying to explain to him how every snowflake is different. And he has no fucking clue. And he asks if they're taking him to the vet. But he picks up within five seconds of how... Gary talks as like being comedy. He goes, "Hey, that's funny. I like that. I'm gonna talk like that." <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's got a, He's a com. He's got a comics mind. Oh, he does. Like completely. Like he's such an airhead on like the most basic things. But it's like, oh, you talk funny. I like that. I'm gonna remember it, and I'm gonna annoy my dad <laughs> while you're here. It's that he likes. <laughs> hey, when you flush on a submarine, where does it go? <laughs> you, I like. You said you I like instead of I like you. That's funny. I like that. Wait, that I like. I like that Gary can swoop in and just be like Mr. Cool to Bobby by literally just being an old man. <laughs> yeah, like, like that's all Bobby is. This is just a, a young old man. <laughs> Yeah, and Bobby's like so nice and accommodating too. Like he doesn't care that it's his grandma's new boyfriend or anything. He doesn't want it. like he doesn't care about what Cotton thinks or anything. It's just like, hey, you're funny. <laughs> I don't think that it means anything to Bobby because I don't think that like Cotton and Tilly as a relationship means anything to Bobby. You know, like I don't think that they he. Well, he hasn't seen probably his grandma, and if Hank hasn't seen her in two years, and I'm sure Bobby hasn't seen her in two years. And that's like 10 to 12. Like, I'm sure he's had a lot of time to not think about that. And now that she's back, he's just happy to see her. And this is Gary. Another question we could ask is why two years? Was two years ago when she moved away from Texas because she left Cotton? Or did she leave Cotton 20 years ago? I don't know. Yeah, as far as I know, she left Cotton like when Hank was still like a teenager. Or like Bobby's age even maybe. But yeah, no, I just love Bobby. Like no biases, like no know anything and like you know he's never met this man before and now they're sharing a bedroom for a week <laughs> and bobby's just like hey just like asking these unbiased questions like i'm just a nice person <laughs> i'm gonna accommodate you 
Yeah, it seems like everybody Bobby meets is always on the level of, like, okay. Like, no preconceived notions at all until they do something bad. Like, even the guys that are mean to him, like in uh, Husky Bobby, uh, Andy Maynard, <laughs> he's a huge dick to him, and he still gets him a brownie. <laughs> Kane Scratterberg. Yeah, he, Bobby, Bobby's just friends with everyone. And one other thing I think I liked about this scene, I'm not 100% sure if I might be getting this mixed up with the further scene, but when you actually see the scar of his triple bypass, I liked how they put that in just to try and keep up with the fact that he had the triple bypass. Because yeah. if you've had a triple bypass and he's had his shirt off and you don't see that scar, you're like, man, this guy apparently just had a triple bypass. Yeah, I think yeah. you do get to see it in this scene. Not close up, but I think we do see it as like just for continuity. So we And same with the tattoo, right? Yeah, it's close up in the scene we'll talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, but we um, do get the continuity of it. Yeah, exactly. Scene, but at this point, yeah, it's him. He's just kind of buttoning up his pajamas, and it's great. And it, it's like you know, kind of similar to Krusty the Clown in The Simpsons with his uh, with his pacemaker scar that they always make a mention of in the thing. And yeah, Hank's just oblivious to how dangerous it is having one of those every year because he worships the ground Bucks Rickman walks on. But anyway. Later that night, we get an animatic from the uh, deleted scenes of Tilly sleeping with Luann. Yeah, that's something I wanted to get a look in on. It's it's just a little, just a little interesting. Just so Tilly, just I guess she keeps just rolling over and like putting an arm out to Luann, and Luann just like, what is she? Do you want to describe it? I forget what is it. I think I only watched it one time, but I'm pretty sure she like puts her arm on her, and she's got long nails. So she grabs a like a like one of the nail filers and starts filing her nails. <laughs> That's what it was. I knew she was jamming something on her hand. I was like, I couldn't really tell. It was an automatic. It's it's hard. It's not it's not defined. Either way, it could have been just to like make it more soft on Luann's arm, or just because she couldn't stand seeing unfinished nails. Either way, oh, hilarious. Maybe that. Yeah, it was an automatic. So like if yeah, the yeah. detail wasn't there. Yeah. It could have been that, but. Uh, yeah, I thought it was just kind of funny how she did whatever she did instead of just moving. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I'm glad you actually brought that up and that that animatic exists because I never thought about that till now. It's like, I guess it wasn't as funny as Gary and Bobby, but that's still a funny scene with uh, Luann and uh, her step-grandma, I guess. Yeah, like if you're cutting one of those scenes out, you're cutting that one out, yeah. but... That would have been the only kind of one-on-one interaction we ever saw Luann have with Tilly then. But we never get to see it. Yeah, so later that night, Hank can't sleep. He's rolling around, tossing and turning like crazy. So he gets up in the middle of the night, and he finds Gary sitting on the couch. And, uh, Kurt, man, what is, what's Gary Gary munching on? Uh, Gary is eating chicken fried steak. Now, uh, I looked up a little information on chicken fried steak, and not to be confused with country fried steak, is a bread... <laughs> It's a breaded cutlet beefsteak, and uh, despite Gary classifying it as chicken, there is, in fact, no chicken in it. Because <laughs> it's just, like, chicken coating, right? Like, shake and bake or something? It's basically just, yeah, you're yeah. just going to basically take the steak and bread it and fry it. <laughs> so I think, uh, I would imagine, fry. no, in a pan, I oh, think. Okay. Yeah. So no one, has anyone here had chicken fried steak before? I think it was on a couple buffets in Texas. I was gonna say, does Denny's chicken fried steak count? Because I've definitely had that. No, Denny's although it garbage. might, it might, <laughs> it might be country fried steak there. What's the difference, Kurt? I never looked up country fried steak all that much. <laughs> Just don't get it. Confused. Just don't confuse it. All right. And so it originated in La Mesa, Texas, from what was believed to be German and Austrian immigrants. 
and its name came from a restaurant advertisement from the Colorado Spring Gazette in June 19th, 1914. Now, it's very similar to Wiener Schnitzel. I was going to say, Kirk, that's funny, because last night, before I went to bed, I watched Anthony Bourdain, uh, Parts Unknown, where he's in Germany, and he eats a fuckload of schnitzel, and chicken fried steak looked exactly like what I assume, or like what schnitzel looked like. Like, I get so down for schnitzel and a little bit of mushroom gravy. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, I'm pretty sure the whole, like, idea and concept of chicken fried steak was probably even goes back way further than what I found. Because, like I said, it basically is, I think, just wiener schnitzel. But it just, people gave it, like, its own name and a slight variation on it. But is, in fact, one of the dishes that make up the official state meal of, can anybody guess, what state? Texas. No. Oklahoma. Yes. Is it Oklahoma? Oh. It is Oklahoma. Shout out Oklahoma. Shout out Oak. OKC, baby. We have a, a oral contract that we are nice to, yeah. <laughs> to people from Oklahoma. Because <laughs> people I, from Texas aren't, apparently. I, lo- I love Oklahoma. It's my favorite. The OKC, baby. <laughs> except except for that time, except for the basketball. That's the only thing. <laughs> Thanks for that, Kurt. Man, I think our next uh, cooking uh, night we have, we're... It's chicken fried steak night. It's so. it's been decided. We'll have some corn pone on the side, and <laughs> I like it's corn bread. Be really nice. Yeah. So Gary's sitting there munching on this uh, chicken fried steak, which he is absolutely in love with, and uh, intentionally forgets that it's steak. He's going to count underneath as chicken, and he wants to, you know, he put he puts his arm around Hank and he goes, "Let's let's have a talk here." And they know there's some tension between us. It's awkward. Let's talk about that. And Hank is like. No, fuck that. He's, he's not even going to consider having a conversation with Gary at 2 a.m. about his relationship with his mother. So Hank flips on the TV, and it's one of those... Uh, what's it? Healing. Yeah, the faith healing. It's the, the Canvas Cathedral. It's one of these crazy, lunatic preacher man that scares the bejeebus out of people with hiccups and thinks he's a gift from God. Be gone! Well, I guess there's nothing we can... Be gone! <laughs> He does the old uh, scaring trick. Of course, you can drink water upside down, uh, hold your breath. I kind of noticed what's weird is like, why didn't Gary already have the TV on? Like, I don't know if I'm having a snack at like 1 a.m. and I'm sitting on the couch. There's no way I'm not turning on the TV. Like, I'm the complete opposite. Like, the only time I have my TV on is when I'm watching something for a purpose. Like, it's never background noise to me. Like, I'll put music on or my headphones on or something if I'm in that mindset or like i'm up at 3am for some reason but i I mean i know you're not alone that's for damn sure (laughs) i like i i do not wander around my house alone without like youtube or a podcast on but like tv now i like now it's like like first of all who the fuck has cable and then like what i gotta google through netflix and find some piece of shit that i don't care about watching king of the hills not on netflix (laughs) I got a bunch of pieces of shit lined up for this situation. <laughs> no, I just go to YouTube, and YouTube knows me pretty well by now that whenever I go to that homepage, it's like, ooh, yes, I want to know about this. Yeah, it's like, yeah, ooh, more Weird Al videos. <laughs> yeah, more. <laughs> but, but, Kurt, man, you're puttering around your house on a day off or, you know, at nighttime. Do you have, do you constantly need to have something on as background noise, or can you be silently roaming through your house? No, I'd say I could probably be roaming through my house silently. I mean, I usually always have something on but it, i'm always like watching it for a purpose so like if i'm gonna be wandering around doing stuff it's gonna be on pause because i'm not gonna want to miss it right i have the, i have the satellite radio boombox in my in my house so like i can walk by that and just click one button and then there's this music playing that i don't have to pay attention to and 
it's easier than just turning my TV on and trying to search for something I want to half-ass listen to. But that that's funny because like my the things that I'll half-ass watch is like everything, and then the things that I'll half-ass listen I just won't half-ass listen to music. That's why I need like a podcast or YouTube. Like when it's music, it's like I need to be in control. And then like also the next this song I'm listening to makes me think of the next song I want to hear. And then it's like it's never a passive activity to listen to music for myself. Right. Like I remember when I was a kid when I used to spend uh, weekends at my grandparents' house. My grandpa could never not fall asleep without the TV on. And then he'd wake up like four hours later and then turn the TV off and go back to sleep. Are you guys like that? Do you need something on to fall asleep? I am a lot like that. I always fall asleep to television and uh, I know a lot of people that will not do that like they like to go to bed they like to turn their turn their show music whatever it is off not me I thoroughly enjoy there is times where I will just put on like background noise like the ocean or like sounds of nature like real background <laughs> like straight up like yeah. wow. sleeping music good for yeah. you <laughs> So after Hank turns on the TV and drowns out Gary, we see them the next day, uh, and Peggy's doing the dishes, and Hank comes into the kitchen, and Peggy already has all these ideas for uh, yeah. accommodating Gary. Yeah, Peggy's getting a menorah to, to let Bobby blow out the candles on Hanukkah Eve. <laughs> I didn't bother looking that up, but I'm sure it was horribly offensive to <laughs> Jewish people. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Festival of Lights, and then you don't turn them off is the thing. <laughs> yeah, now, like, when she says Hanukkah Eve, does she mean the day before Hanukkah? Like, does she want them blown out? Because, I mean, that might make sense, because then you blow them out so you can start lighting them the next day. But, but Hanukkah starts on the 25th day of Kislev, which is um, the Hebrew calendar. Uh, it's the ninth month, and it can be any day on our Gregorian calendar between the end of November and the end of December. So Hanukkah is not on the same Gregorian calendar date every year. And I started to look up this Kislev calendar, or sorry, Kislev's the month. Started to look up the Hebrew calendar, and I didn't look very far because it was very confusing and I didn't understand it. Yeah, I don't speak Yiddish either. Um, but yeah, and it's, the menorah is <clears throat> obviously the seven candle thing made of gold that they light on Hanukkah. I mean, regardless of what it is or what we think it is, Peggy wants one for Gary to make him feel more at home. And Hank's like, no, fuck that. He's the new guy. He should be accommodating to our schedule, which is ridiculous because Gary never once mentioned that he needed to have this like traditional <laughs> Jewish Christmas. Like, he doesn't care. He's on holiday in Texas for a week. And, and for all Peggy knows, Hanukkah was last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they don't fucking know. <laughs> but they're planning to go to the middle school, the Tom Landry Middle School basketball game because uh four of the players made regionals. But because an eighth grade like this only happens once every 10 years. Exactly. And Luann comes barging out. Let's go, let's go! If I miss the tip-off, I don't know which team is going for which basket. <laughs> so I think that's Luann's only line in the episode. It's um, fucking hilarious line. <laughs> but, like, Hank is raring to go. And, like, usually in the series, he doesn't mention basketball at all, being a sport he cares about. It's baseball and football exclusively. But I don't know. Small town Texas. It's sports. It's sports. Yeah. And I, I, originally, I, when I was watching the scene, I was just like, oh, like, he must be in like high school basketball at least. And then I re listened to the clip and I was like, oh no, it's eighth grade. That's middle school. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just Hank's uh, love for young 
you know, high school athletes, you know? <laughs> I think Hank has to live vicariously through someone because Bobby ain't doing it. <laughs> it's just Tom Landry Middle School. Yeah, TLMS rules. Hank's, Hank's uh, sudden love of basketball for this episode does make me, kind of, does remind me sort of of like people here who quote unquote love golf. I know a few people who are very big golf fans, but I know a lot more who say they're golf fans and fucking watch it once when the PGA Tour is on or the Masters is on. Hey, man. <laughs> there is literally nothing better than on the most hungover Sunday of your life, laying in on your couch all day and watching the Masters. That, like, British narrator, commentator, there's just something so soothing about that. You don't have to pay attention because it just happens so slowly. There's nothing wrong with it, but no. are you buying a foam finger for it? Hell no, I'm not. <laughs> I think a lot of these people you say love golf just love going out, riding around on a golf cart, and drinking beer. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about playing. I'm literally just talking about people who are like, oh, yeah, I, ca I caught the Masters. I got 20 bucks on Bubba this week <laughs> on PGA Tour. It's like those are the two tours you watch, and then you don't even know another golfer. Like, it's... Yeah, no, that's 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 pretty fair because the Masters is the unofficial start of the golf season, so it's the only one everyone watches, and then after that, it's like, well, I already watched one, like, four-day fucking golf tournament. <laughs> like, I don't need to watch another one. But anyway, Tilly comes out, and she's in her pajamas still. She's not ready. She doesn't give a flying fuck that four of the eighth grades made regional. She doesn't want to watch basketball because her and Gary, well, they, were they weren't together last night, so they've been really missing each other. And they're going to stay home while the Hill family goes to the basketball game. Now, after the Hill family leaves, they, uh, Tilly and Gary kind of get, get a little playful with each other. That they do. And I was wondering, do you think, like, if Hank just let them, like, fool around on his couch, would, would, they, would we have another episode? Would Hank have gone blind? I don't know. But they... You know uh, what? That's a really good point. This episode wouldn't have needed that needed to happen if Hank just let them be on the couch. If Hank could just say like, "Okay, they're grown ups. You're older than me. You can do whatever you want yeah. behind closed doors." Well, I mean, maybe his problem was that there wasn't a closed door, but I still argue they should have let them have Luann's den. Oh, one hundred percent. Bobby's. If no, there's another cot in Bobby's room, like shuffle Luann's already a guest. Like, <laughs> no, we're past that now. She's one of the family. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> She should. She still should have been on the couch. <laughs> so we cut away from the two lovebirds calling each other weird pet names, uh, and then uh, Hank is drilling Peggy about the foam finger that she brought because he has multiple to choose from, or didn't bring. Well, I assume she brought one because she said, yes, I brought the foam finger. Yes, it has number one. And no, it doesn't have basketball on it. So they have to buck a Yui. So I'm guessing that she probably brought a football one. Maybe. I just thought it was funny that when we got back to the house, it's conveniently right there at the exit, as if Peggy had forgotten to bring it entirely. Okay. So she was just lying to him about the first two questions. I don't know. Well, yes, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe. I imagine her bringing the one with a football on it. Yeah, right. And then the one Hank wanted had a little basketball on it. Maybe, maybe she pulled that. all of the foam fingers out and, like, looked at them and then just left the basketball one and took a football one. It still seems odd that Hank needs a foam finger to watch a grade 8 sporting event. No. It's fucking, it's order, man. You need to know who's number one. Yep. All the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking McMahon American kiss my ass. Yes, Tom Landry Middle School football rules. So they buck that quick Yui, and they go back to the Hill House, and now Kurtman, 
Hank, Hank enters his own house and he's a little confused. What the hell is going on in his house since he's been gone? <laughs> well, first off, I know he's a little upset because he gets home and there's their clothes all over the floor. So Gary obviously just waited till Hank and the family were gone to make his uh, mother do laundry. So as he follows the uh, the trail of clothes leading into the kitchen, he sees something that is uh, quite upsetting to him. Something that he's been trying to avoid the whole time they've been at the house. Something every single person has been trying to avoid their entire lives. And since we can't describe it with words, we're going to let the music talk for itself. This little montage. Kind of sounds like Donkey Kong music. <laughs> There's nothing that lovers can do that lasts that long. <laughs> but if you haven't picked up by now, Hank walks in on his mom and Gary in relations <laughs> we get like yeah we get a close-up shot of the the scars and the liver oh, spots and, and the like moles. Her, her, her cross and his jewish oh, necklace her, or yeah, the star yeah, of david yeah are, are mixing together and there's like yeah close-up of his uh, uss trout tattoo and like their toes are all outstretched and it's quite horrifying and, and then hanks uh now i was wondering about this so the flash from the bracelet. Are we to believe that that is the white light that he continues that like? I, I mean, think so. Because like that's what it looks like. Because that's was, the last thing he sees before his eyes go sideways and he or his pupils. Was he just got flashed by the, yeah. the? I think yeah, it was just like the all encompassing of how horrifying the sight was, sure. and then just that flash of bright light, and Hank doesn't <laughs> see for a while after that. He's seen the light. But, uh, yeah, you mentioned it. One of the last things he sees before uh, he goes blind is the USS Trout tattoo. So I did a little bit of research. Uh, I looked up the USS Trout. And so the USS Trout, um, built, it was the S202, uh, was built in, like, 41, and it went through 11 tours. It had, like, 35, like, missile battles it got. Depth charged like eight times. It was a war hero's fucking submarine. What exactly is a missile battle? Um, where they like actually fire torpedoes at other uh, submarines. So oh. like, as soon as you start firing missiles at another submarine, you're, you're considered in battle. That's a missile battle. I mean, torpedo battle, oh, whatever you want to call it. Okay, okay. But anyways, that was the first trout. So was I was that named after Mike Trout? Uh, I think it's the fish trout. Oh. Um. It was a series of submarines named after fish. <laughs> so there was two of them. And the second one uh, is like the 560 or the 506, like, because they have little brackets with numbers after their names. And this one was so fucking boring. Like, it had no battles at all. All it did was training. It was built in, uh, I think it was launched in like 51. And then it was given to Iran in like 78. Like, nothing happened on it. So I'm pretty sure that was the one that he was on. <laughs> like, I'm kind of glad that you actually got into that because his tattoo is a USS Trout 2. Yeah. <laughs> and you, when you were sitting there talking about the USS Trout and how awesome it was, because when Bobby asked him, Are you a war veteran like my biological grandfather? He goes, No, no, no. I just spent a lot of time in the deep Pacific. And like, so he was just totally underselling it. So I was like, Man, it, did it, was it actually a badass fucking ship? And then, 
now you're like, no, the USS Trout 2 was a joke. Yeah, like, I, I thought it was a badass one because, like, the Trout, uh, the first one had two in the name. And I was just like, oh, he was underselling it. But then I looked up the second one, and the timing was a little bit better. So they didn't kill very many people. <laughs> oh, nobody. No. Nobody. Mm-hmm. I don't even think anybody died during training. Is it even worth it? <laughs> Why? What's worth building the submarine if it's not going to kill a bunch of people? <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything worse to be on than a submarine. I would be so fucking claustrophobic. <laughs> like, it's like, I want off, like, right now. I it That is, like, nightmare fuel yeah. to me. And then people underwater. are potentially going to shoot at it? Like, <laughs> like, yo, I'm already, like, a kilometer under the sea. Yeah. It's like, if we blow up, I'm going to drown. <laughs> yeah, there's no abandoned ship on a submarine. <laughs> But uh, Hank comes uh, stumbling out of the house with his foam finger on, and he's feeling his way through the air, and he finally hops back into Peggy's Buick, and he's fumbling with his keys, and Peggy goes, Hank, is there something wrong? And he goes, yep, I've gone blind. And, of course, Bobby wants to make light of the situation with his new uh, slang he's picked up. Blindy's gone now. (laughs) (laughs) Just so funny. Like, his dad just declared himself blind. And Bobby's first thought is, I'm going to crack this old joke. But I mean, honestly, if your dad comes up to you and says, boy, I'm blind, you're going to be like, fucking here. <laughs> Prove it. Like, you're yeah. not going to be like. Yeah, you'd assume he's fucking. Yeah, you're going to be like, yeah, you've had, you've had eyes my whole life. So what the fuck? Like, literally from the car to the kitchen and back, your dad comes back and says, I'm blind. Like, you're but- like. No, he's not. Peggy believes it, like, right from the get-go, that gullible bitch. She did see his eyes, though, and well, him not. She did mention get, it, miss, yeah. miss the, miss it, miss everything. That's, like, one of my biggest fears in the world is going blind. Going blind and not being able to use my hands, my two biggest fears. <laughs> How am I going to play video games? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, I saw, there's a really cool blind guy on YouTube, and he's, like, been blind since birth. And his YouTube thing is to just answer questions that people have uh, to people who have been blind since birth. That's so funny that you bring that up because you brought it up in the group chat like four days ago. You're like, hey, there's this sweet blind dude on YouTube who talks about like really obvious questions that blind people get asked. And I had really n- just not clue in that this episode revolves around Hank going blind. I was like, yeah. oh, you didn't, you didn't think about my research? No, I was like, gee, that's nice, dude. Yeah, like... <laughs> if anybody wants to check it out, it's called the Tommy Edison Experience. He's got 650 million subscribers. Um, but he's really funny and uh, he's really like open about his blindness and... Yeah. Oh, what did I say? Million. <clears throat> Tommy Edison experience. He's got 650,000 subscribers. <laughs> no person that can see has 650 million. <laughs> How did he make an account? <laughs> no, he has a dude. There's a dude who with him who is sighted. But he's like, he does answer like, do blind people use lights? And like, he's like, one time I had my bathroom light on for four days straight until a taxi driver dropped me off and said, hey, your lights are on. <laughs> and yeah, he's talking about like art on his wall, like why he has it up or like who puts it up and like what he tries to describe colors. He tries to explain to us like his understanding of like our sight. Uh, these are just questions I've literally asked myself since I can remember like since I was a child was like what if you're blind how do you know what anything is like how do you know what anything looks like how do you describe anything this dude explains all that and is fascinating I remember a whole summer whenever Denim came in contact with anybody his first question was if there's a new color 
How do you describe it? That's a good question. <laughs> I know. It's a good question. It's a good question. Not a new shade. New color completely. You can't because you can't even comprehend it. I didn't meet a whole lot of people. <laughs> so we're back. No. So Peggy, very concerned about her husband, takes him to the doctor's office. Yeah, and I'm concerned that we never even got to see what happened to the basketball match. Yeah, no shit. Did they make it to the tip-off? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Blue Blue going to have no idea which yeah. team is going for which basket. <laughs> I love these episodes where she's not written into, but they're like, hey, we need like an air-headed quote. Right here, Luan. <laughs> it's for you. But yeah, the doctor's office, the doctor is, he's completely perplexed. There's no good reason why Hank should be blind because the doctor just assumes that Hank poked himself in the eye. Mr. Hill, I know I've asked you this before, but you didn't poke yourself, did you? No, I just went blind for no reason. Why is that so hard for you to understand? <laughs> and like Hank begins to ask the doctor if there's something that exists in med- in the medical world that if you see something so horrible can you go blind? And the doctor's like, oh, like yeah, if you witness like a horrible murder or a rape, like you can get hysterical blindness. And Peggy's like, did you open the microwave door before the ding? <laughs> it's like, what is she alluding to? Like a half cooked pizza pop or something that would like just no the microwaves. What do you mean? The microwaves, the actual like waves, like radiation. Oh, they're like, the, uh, like it's gonna. That's what she thought that he got like blind from from like nuclear ra- yeah, radiation, radiation or oh, whatever no. comes out of I your microwave. Think about that, God, Peggy's such a dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the doc is he's he's still convinced, and Hank will not admit to it. He won't admit that he got poked in the eye. No, because he didn't. He, he, dis- <laughs> <laughs> he saw something worse. <laughs> this condition could last a few days or a few weeks. The key to getting better will be to confront what you saw and deal with it. Unless, of course, you poked yourself, in which case when you're ready to admit it, you can come back and I'll fix you right up. <laughs> you know, fix you right up. But, Denim, I believe he he finally admits to Peggy on the way home. He tells tells her what happened. Yeah, so he he finally says, okay, I'll tell you what happened. I saw Mom and Gary uh, in the throes of uh, activity. <laughs> activity. <laughs> I love it. I've never heard that string of words describe that situation ever. No. Uh, but yeah, Peggy's, uh, Peggy actually, I kind of expect, half expected her to be like, oh, I understand how fucked up that is for anybody. And especially knowing her conservative husband, how fucked up that is for him. So, but but like, she's like, no. And then she's just like, grow up, you baby. And even after he explains it, the thing that gets her is the table. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, obviously that's gross, but like first you're grossed out by the act of old yeah. people fucking. <laughs> you don't just old people fucking. It's your parents. Yeah. And making fuck. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fucked up. He's fucked up. He said making fuck. Yeah, he did say making fuck. It's so funny, like, <laughs> Hank describing that. Like, can you imagine, like, being like, fuck boys, we're crushing beers, and we're going to throw into some activity later. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, did you guys uh, watch a deleted scene? I think it was the only one that wasn't in the uh, the the different. It was like in a regular animation. Mm. I think it was the only deleted and or extended scene that was in the regular animation. But it was after Hank told her that they were having sex on the kitchen. She goes, "Well, we were going to be eating dinner 
this holidays with the dishcloth. <laughs> no, 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 she says tablecloth, and she's about to cry. She's like on the verge. She's like, well, I guess this year we'll be using the tablecloth. <laughs> like, she's like almost about to break down. Well, yeah, we see her later, and she is scrubbing the shit out of that table. I mean, that table can't be more than like seventy-five bucks. You figure, right? Like, get a new one. I mean, like we did see that shot of the legs. Like they look pretty weak, and it looks like a pretty small. It table. did look rickety. Yeah, I've. I think Hank could get a new table. I don't, don't know why. I mean, it was strong enough to hold up the two old people having sex on it, though. <laughs> yeah, but you've lost a lot of your weight by the time you're, like, in your 90s. <laughs> I think your bones get hollow. I'm not sure. So, after the doctor's office, we're back at the Hill House, and Hank is greeted by his mother and Gary and Bobby and the rest of the family at, uh, at the front door, and they are eagerly awaiting... The diagnosis from the doctor and Hank isn't going to tell them that the doctor is completely stumped. Hank says, oh, I, I poked myself in the eye. And somebody's like, well, what about the other eye? And he goes, oh, it's the damnedest thing. Uh, apparently the other one just uh, shuts down to uh, make the other one feel better. <laughs> and Gary's like, oh, I've been reading science magazines my whole life and I've never heard about an eye sympathetically shutting down. I've got a magazine you ought to read. It's called The Ten Commandments. Who's he talking to? Hank, you want I should come over there? You want I should come over there? That is so Arizona. <laughs> that yeah. is Arizona. Yeah. So hey, Hank's trying to tell Gary off, but he doesn't know where he is. He's like facing the house, and <laughs> Gary's like behind him. Um... Yeah, I love that shot of Hank just yelling at the door. <laughs> yeah, like, you'd think he'd have some sort of idea based on sound where he was, but Hank is completely oblivious. But, like, I'm pretty sure when they first start the conversation, they are standing right there where he's talking, and then I think they, it seems like they switch, like, they moved over. Yeah, I actually saw that online. I don't know if it was on... It must be on the King of the Hill wiki page that somebody made the the comment that the, the camera changed to a really unnatural angle, or, or uh, Gary and Tilly's completely, like, 45 degree themselves in that half second to a well I mean if I wanted to fuck with Hank I for sure would talk to him and then just slowly move over and that's exactly what everybody wants to do with Hank is just <laughs> fuck with him <laughs> oh, <yeah>. mercilessly <laughs> yeah. hey Hank what am I thinking you can't see. <laughs> you can't see what I'm thinking. I'm not going to be blind forever, you know. And the second I see some ass, I'm kicking it. Now, no more making fun of my blindness. Oh, no. I love the guys just sitting around roasting them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'd be like, oh, my God, man. Like, you can't see. Like, we have to figure this out right now. But they're just like, no, no sympathy whatsoever. Like, we're just going to keep roasting Hank because he's the big dog and he's incapacitated yeah. at the moment. And Bill's just jumping uh, at the chance to not be the lowest man on the totem pole. <laughs> and, like, the way they're installing him, too, is just, it's just horrible. Like, the, it's <laughs> funny because it's not, yeah, exactly. like, so ridiculous. It's absurd. And, like, Bill is really, you know, uh, pulling all his weight and all his brain power over these jokes here. And he grabs his shoe, <laughs> puts it to his ear, pretends that a phone is ringing. He goes, oh, Hank, it's for you. And Hank grabs the shoe and throws it. But Hank, I guess, forgot he's connected to Ladybird by the leash. <laughs> Ladybird drags him out of the living room. Because I imagine he's using Ladybird as like a service dog at this point. Oh, is that what it? Okay, because that's what I kind of figured. I, I would have loved that in the deleted scene for him to be like, "Well, Ladybird can get me around." I would have loved that because I kind of thought 
I didn't really notice that it was a shoe at first. Mm. I thought that maybe they had tied Ladybird to him and then like given him a football to throw. Oh. So I thought maybe they like tricked him into throwing a football that Ladybird would chase after. And, uh, yeah. But I didn't. Yeah. No, that makes a lot more sense that he would assume Ladybird was smart enough to be a service dog. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he also has the foam finger. And so I was wondering about that. Like, is he using that as, like, his walking stick? Like, a, an yeah. actual blind person? So oh, he yeah. uses the foam finger to, like, <laughs> feel his way around? Yeah, I like when Dale's like, hey, Hank, I know what's wrong. Your finger's too big. That's why you poked yourself in the eye. <laughs> but, no, yeah, no, Hank is, like, throughout the series, Hank, like, completely just glazes over the fact that Ladybird's like, a 12 to 13-year-old dog. And, like, she's probably not capable of... Like oh, chaperoning him through the house while by the leash, like she's pretty out of it. So in the kitchen, Bobby and Tilly are uh, making cookies on the bare surface of the kitchen table, and Peggy can't have any of that. She knocks off the cookie dough. <laughs> she comes in with a spray bottle and just starts shamming the table. <gasps> Horrified at uh, what had happened there moments earlier, I guess earlier that day. Yeah, she just tosses out all, and like Bobby is just like, just like, hey, I like him flat. Push harder. <laughs> and Peggy's like, oh my lord, like get rid of it. But one thing I forgot to mention is this: like, do you guys know what Tilly is like the abbreviation for? Like, do you know what her real name is? My guess would be Tillafred. <laughs> my guess is. Tammy? Tammy? Kurtman, what's your guess? Tabitha. <laughs> Matilda. Oh, that makes so much sense. Uh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it did. I just assumed that her name was Tilly. Like, oh, yeah, that's like a name you would assume for like a grandmother. And I just didn't think everything. And then I seen it on the online. It was, no, it's Matilda. I've, Tilly Hill. I forgot Matilda was a name. Yeah. <laughs> and an excellent movie with Danny DeVito. <laughs> Great movie. Movie's called Twins. <laughs> No, it's called Matilda. <laughs> oh, Matilda. I thought you were talking about Tilly. <laughs> you know, while we're kind of just briefly on it, I was going to mention this earlier, but, like, man, like, right on to Gary and Tilly for just, like, throwing down in the kitchen. I mean, like, that's not something you see a lot of 80-year-old doing, like. Well, Kurt, you're clearly comfortable with the image of that. <laughs> like, I'm just, just saying, chose man, to ignore it. <laughs> most 80-year-olds aren't even getting it done anymore, and, like, these two are just thrown down on the kitchen table, man. Like, whoa, whoa. I've heard some stories about old folks' homes. Well, you know, Gary hasn't had those feelings in a long time. <laughs> but uh, the... While we're forgetting about things we mentioned, we forgot to mention earlier, uh, the title of this episode comes from a film starring Daniel Day-Lewis from 1988 called yeah, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Being? Yeah, I think it was Being. Yeah. I looked at it too, yeah. I know I looked at it, and then I saw that it had Daniel Day-Lewis, and I was like, oh, I know who that is, and then I immediately fell asleep trying to read what it was about because it didn't look like a movie that was going to appeal to me. No, I, I went to look into it too, and then it was like apparently the only like uh, parallel to this episode is the title. Mm -hmm. As far as I could tell, the plot from that movie had nothing to do with the plot yeah. of this episode. They seem to do a lot of play on words with other titles of other you know movies and media, and I like that. Yeah, there's been a couple, been a couple for sure. Yeah, I wanted to look if that was, like, a, uh, a Paul Lieberstein connection. Like, the movies he did were all plays on something, on episodes, but 
I've never seen any movie where somebody uh, gets an anthill <laughs> in their lawn. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, while we are speaking about movies. No, actually, never mind. I'll bring it up later. Uh, so, yeah, the following scene, Hank, uh, for some reason, is trying to. Uh, what's he doing, Kurtman? Well, he's in the bathroom, and it appears that he's trying to shave. And it looks like he's having a hell of a time there. Uh, it, it appears that he's shaved a good chunk of his sideburn off. Yeah, oh, man, like, I hate shaving. I have sensitive skin. And, like, <laughs> that sound that it made when Hank, like, just obliterated one of his sideburns was like, Whoosh! and I was like, oh, man, like, that's going to hurt. <laughs> and then, like, of course, he cuts himself there. I don't know if you guys ever tried to shave without, like, a mirror. It's the hardest fucking thing in the world. Oh, I can imagine. In what You'd circumstances were you shaving without a mirror? Okay, so I, sometimes I like to try new things. <laughs> and uh, I tried brushing my teeth in the shower. And that is actually a great way to save time. I and do I stand all by the it. fucking time. Okay. So I stand by it. Yeah, when so, you lived here, your toothbrush was in the shower. I was like, who the fuck is brushing their teeth in here? <laughs> I didn't know that it was you. It was fucking me. That's and disgusting. It's hot water. I, that's the only reason I think it's disgusting. Because I can't, I don't want to mix toothpaste and hot water in my mouth. I don't think it makes a difference. And also, so I was like, that was a success. Let's try shaving in the shower. So I tried shaving my face in the shower. And uh, I get out, and I'm like, holy, I'm never fucking doing that again. Because you miss spots. It looks terrible. It's not something that you ever do. So I don't do it. Our papa was blind. And he, uh, when we went on, I went on a trip with him once. And I remember just, like, we were in the hotel room. And he was just sitting there on the bed with a shaver. And I was like, he wasn't 100% blind. He's legally blind. He couldn't see to shave himself in a mirror, so it didn't matter. So he just would, like, sit there and, like, rub his face, see where he had missed, and then go at it again. He it took him a really long time. He didn't go nearly as fast as Hank tried. But, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he, would, like, he would, like, go a spot and then, like, feel it and then, like, yeah, just, like, the wow. whole way. And then, uh, so did anybody here notice anything uh, peculiar about that particular scene? Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of some animation fuck up there, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Uh, when uh, me and uh, Smoking Dart here were watching the episode, we actually had a quite an extensive conversation about it because if you notice, while he's shaving in the mirror, he cuts his sideburn and his face on the left side of his face. But when he turns to head to the door, it is then on the right side of his face. And so we were kind of going into the argument about because it was a mirror, is it kind of like... Uh, a mirrored image of it, but I was like, man, no, from the point of reference of him, it's his left side of his face. It's always his left side of his face as far as he's in the mirror. And then when he turns, they switch it. So that was just something funny that I noticed. Yeah, you used the, his watch side, right, as a point of reference? Well, I used the watch later when me and Denim were trying to, because Denim, he was thinking about it from the mirror's perspective, like uh, in a mirrored perspective. So yeah. he was thinking opposite, but I was telling him, no, I was like, if you look, when he goes to put the toilet paper there, there's his watch. So like clearly the watch is on the left side, mm -hmm. so the cut is on the left side, the sideburn's on the left side. But then I was like, when he turns, you can clearly see the watch still on the left side, but then the cut and the sideburn are now on the right side. Exactly. Of his That's exactly right. That's a damn fine observation, Kurt.
So the next morning, it's uh, none other than Christmas morning. And it's funny because it's like much more of a major holiday than Halloween. But Hall- for the Halloween episode, like they led up to every day and every oh, yeah. event in the episode. Like it was Christmas morning. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see if Hank had his sight because like he was gung ho on the decorations on day one. Oh, yeah. So maybe it could have got more and more and more, but he couldn't see. So there's a whole new problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Hank. He loves to decorate his house. He is so damn proud of that house. But anyway, it's Christmas morning and Hank is still can't see. And uh, the family gathers around Bobby as he blows out the menorah like a Christmas or a birthday cake. <laughs> and On Hanukkah Eve. On, on, on Hanukkah Eve, which is apparently Christmas. And yeah. Hank is still just trying to be the true patriarch of the family. He wants to be the one, as always, to hand out the presents. So he goes, there's somebody... Who looks like this one is is square? Ah, <laughs> uh, here you go, Bobby. <laughs> I love he just turfs it into the wall. Hey, that's for me. He said, Bobby. Cool, a nightgown. I'm gonna wear this when I get older. <laughs> yeah, so, so Bobby opens Luann's nightgown, obviously, and the next present that Hank grabs, it's really heavy. And he ends up grabbing the Christmas tree by the Christmas tree stand and flipping it upside down. And then the next scene, we see the Christmas tree is like totally cockeyed. And Hank's still trying his damnedest to be the, the Christmas morning host. But... He ends up getting into it with Gary because Gary is uh, getting a little too over the line with uh, making fun of Hank's blindness. Oh, and what do we have here? Oh, my goodness, another mink coat for Hank. (laughs) Sorry, Hank. I know that's getting old. That's great there, Gary. Thanks for turning my holiday into a Woody Allen special. I love the, the confidence of Gary in this brand new house where, like, he should not feel welcome to begin with. And, like, he, he reminds me of Bobby where, like, any oh, social yeah. situation, like, there's, like, he doesn't care about what anybody thinks about him. He's going to still make his jokes. And if he, I think, I feel like also, yeah, if he didn't have Bobby there egging him on, maybe they would have said half the jokes. <laughs> not none. If you're new in a house that you've never been to before with family you've never been before and you've got a fan... Play to the fan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, you get Bobby giggling at your jokes yeah. all weekend long. Yeah. Um, but it's funny that uh, Hank drops this interesting line about Woody Allen Christmas specials. Um, couldn't find much on Woody Allen Christmas specials, but Woody Allen has a movie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called. <laughs> And it's called a Hollywood ending. It's called, and and in it, it's about a director who suffers from hysterical blindness. This movie came out in two thousand two, so I don't know. Maybe they knew. Maybe they read the script. Maybe they maybe they knew Woody Allen. Maybe Woody Allen suffers from hysterical blindness. I have no idea. Well, there's a very good chance that he was pretty tight with Mr. Carl Reiner. You never know. That's true. Probably true, but uh, Hank he doesn't he doesn't take too kindly to Gary's to Gary's jokes on Christmas morning. And what does he want to do? He just wants to go to Houston. He's gonna go wait in the truck for for Peggy to drive him to Houston to go to his dad's for dinner. Which is funny because earlier in the episode he was already complaining about his Christmas Day schedule, about how he had to have drive all the way to Houston, have lunch with Cotton, and then drive all the way back. So I don't know what that road trip is, but it's 
It's kind of well, like, what they? Yeah, I guess probably a couple hours. Like three, I don't know. three hours or something, maybe. I don't know. People from Texas, let us know. Uh, yeah, he's got a. Well, I mean, people from this fictional town in Texas, let <laughs> yeah. us know how far it is to drive. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, he's. You gotta think it's reasonable. It's probably not more than an hour drive, actually, because like I don't know, you really ducking out for like six hours in the middle of Christmas just to go have lunch with Cotton? Like, fuck no. <laughs> I I don't know about you guys, but this. Past Christmas that we just had, I realized something, and I realized that I fucking hate Christmas <laughs> because of the reason the Hanks are describing. It's like there's actually no time on Christmas Day to sit around and relax with your family. It's just fucking driving from place to place to place, and it forced conversations, and it drives me nuts. Yeah, that's funny. No, I totally – our Christmas is full of like 10 hours middle of the day. <laughs> not, not 10, but uh, I feel like we've had most Christmases is just the middle of the day is like – we leave parents' house, and then I just have a few hours to just do nothing, and then I got to go to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you just need a more relaxed schedule, Miles. Well, like, it, it used to be like that, and then, like, have, like, people in my family kind of, like, passed away, and then it kind of shifted off the whole, uh, the Christmas routine, and, you like, you throw girlfriends into the mix, and their fucking families, and then it's just, like, I just can't wait for Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dude, Boxing Day sweet. We get Hank in the truck talking to who he thinks is Peggy. Uh, so stoked to just get out of the house and get away from that kitchen table. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, who does he have in the truck with him but... Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Gary. Oh, yeah. Bobby in like 50 years. <laughs> Uh, so Hank is absolutely mortified and just cannot believe that he's got to drive to Houston with this guy. Um, and to pass the time, Gary's helping him out, uh, by describing the things that he sees on the way. There's one of those big trucks, you know, the ones you find on the road, uh, a semi, a demi, uh, a couple of dozen wheelers. Uh, here we got a billboard. They want us to buy some filing cabinets. Shut up. You're driving me insane. <laughs> You know, I'm a truck driver, and the fact that this, like, 70-year-old man doesn't know that it's an 18-wheeler and calling it a couple of dozen wheelers is <laughs> fucking hilarious to me. And just how, like, it, like, Gary's totally playing off how annoyed Hank is. Like, he's like, oh, you're annoyed and you're not going to be comfortable with me? I'm just going to keep fucking with you until you, like, actually, you know, just talk <laughs> to me about what the issues are. And I love it. It was a, a semi-truck, a demi-truck. <laughs> <laughs> And then he sees a, yeah, the billboard and he wants to buy cabinets. And then he, he pretends to see a hitchhiker with a dog and a gun because the, the dog will cheer him up. And a beard. Oh, yeah, of course, and a beard. But uh, they finally make it to Houston and they arrive at Cotton's house. And uh, I was actually kind of nervous to see how Cotton and Gary were going to get along. I think it happened exactly like I expected. Yeah. Kurtman, tell us a little bit about when Hank arrives on Cotton's doorstep because it is just beautiful right from the minute he steps like he knocks on the door to cottons it's just gold right from the get-go <laughs> you're late dad it's good to hear your voice still blind huh or are you faking hell <laughs> oh, either you're blind or you're slow i'd believe both <laughs> could quite possibly be my favorite line in the in the episode oh yeah and uh yeah, I'd, I'd back that up. <laughs> and he starts introducing him to Gary. Gary Kasner. Kasner! Happy Hanukkah! 
I served with one of your tribe in the Pacific. Name of Brooklyn. You know him? I know a Joe Brooks Stein. That's him. That's <laughs> him. <laughs> <laughs> I love this uh, continuation that we see in Colin from, like, these astute observations of, like, people's cultures and heritage. Like, on the Westy side story, when he's like, nope, he's Laotian. <laughs> yeah. And, like, when when Cotton screams, Kasner, you think he's going to go off on, like, some fucking tirade about, oh, yeah. you know, like, something super negative. But he's just like, good to meet you, man. Happy <laughs> Hanukkah. Yeah. His friend Brooklyn is a recurring, like, just person he mentions anytime he's around and, like... He loves Brooklyn. He loves Brooklyn. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's also, that's from, from Shins of the Father when he's out in the alley having beers with the guys and he goes, hey, you guys remind me a lot of my friends. Except one of you was from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after Cotton kind of accepts that Hank is blind and Hank attempts to hang on to his father for guidance, <laughs> he refuses... Pulls up, cocks a shotgun. Hands off, girly. I didn't fight off a bunker full of horny privates to let you cop a field. <laughs> it was so funny because, like, to me, it seemed like he planted that tree, like, January 1st of the year before just so it could grow, like, two to three feet so he could shoot it with his shotgun. It's like, it's right in his front yard. Yeah. There's nothing else in there except just grass and this poor little tree. Now, nah, but he's got to go kill his own tree. Probably kills his own bird, too. I love uh, I love when they get inside there and they're all sitting by the couch and I just love how Cotton like he's just so short his little legs can barely even reach over <laughs> that cushion of the couch he's got his little dinner TV tray and oh. I believe one of my uh, the other lines I loved in this scene was Costner so you been a chauffeur your whole life <laughs> yeah. so uh, Christmas lunch at Cotton Hill's house is. It's what the holiday spirit is all about. It's basically him just screaming at everyone in the room, <laughs> and this is probably the only time in Hank's adult life where he's happy to be at Con's house for lunch because he's blind and he wants to be as far away from his mom and Gary Kastner as he can, table. yeah, and the kitchen table as far as he can be. So he's just sitting there and he doesn't even like listen to Hank, you know. He just abruptly asked Gary if he's been a chauffeur all of his life because Hank just kind of says, "Oh, he's the guy who drove me here." Uh, but Gary, Gary ain't no chauffeur. He uh, he says he's here on holidays with Tilly, and he just wanted to help out. And Cotton is surprised that Tilly is still breathing. <laughs> My sweet God, is she still around? She was too old for me 20 years ago. I don't know what year she told you she was, mister, but... Ad O'Dominer's done rolled over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Gary is not having this and he's like he takes a stand of cotton and he goes to wait in the truck himself yeah this is the real tsn turning point of the episode where hank actually is just like gary's a great guy he does like he he's not gonna abuse my mother he treats her with nothing but respect and if he's gonna stand up to that little firecracker cotton then you know he's worthy of you know dating hank's mom and it's it's great because up to this point in the series nobody stood up to cotton ever Especially and, about Hank and his own mother. Like, Hank hasn't yeah. stood up to Cotton when Cotton bash, bashes Tilly, so... Yeah, or bash his own wife. Like, Hank wouldn't yeah. stand up to him then. But, you know, Gary did that, and, you know, it was, it was really nice. It was something that, we, that, uh, that they needed. And I like that Houghton just kind of, like, 
back down, like kind of respect, not, I don't want to say respectfully and cotton in the same sentence, but he definitely was just like, you know, I'm backing down then <laughs> and just goes on to yell at Didi about something else. Yeah. There's something else that needs to be yelled about. It just shows that how much cotton doesn't even fucking think about what he says yeah. at all. Hey, one man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> And then uh, shortly, I guess, we're led to believe Hank just wanders out. You didn't have to leave early on my account. Where's my eggnog? Where's my eggnog? <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so, so if you didn't catch that, that's caught like fucking screaming at Dad uh, Dee for his eggnog. Hank's like, nope, no need to apologize. Like, he was on his way out anyway. I imagine Cotton didn't even notice Hank leave or say bye and just wanted to find his eggnog. <laughs> uh, Kurtman, do you like eggnog? You know, honestly, I I have never really drank it. Like, I, I can't even tell you if I do or don't like it because it's just never really been a thing in my family house for the holidays. You like it. Wall boys, do you guys like eggnog? I mean, I love eggnog, but dairy doesn't do so well with me. But I love eggnog. Yeah, I fucks with the eggnog. Love it. I don't particularly enjoy eggnog so much, but I need to crush a lot of rum and eggnogs yes. leading up to Christmas. And then that's why I'm usually hungover on Christmas. And that's probably why I hate Christmas. <laughs> like, can you guys give it any sort of comparison to another drink? No, it's no. fucking absurd. No, it's like it's, it's like, like thick milk with it's, spices. It's like it's like if you had like I guess like a really thick melted milkshake, but even thicker and like just as sweet. Yeah, most people that I've mixed drink like mixed eggnog drinks around with, it's like half eggnog and then half milk to thin it out a bit. Yeah, and then a bunch that's of and that's that's worth mentioning. Like when we were kids, uh, and mom used to buy eggnog. It was like it was, she would pre-mix it before we would get because it is thick, dude. Like you could probably pour that thing in your engine and That's it might thing. work as it, oil. Like, it covers up the like it mixes with the rum just beautifully, but then like you get drunk as fuck, but then you're just like bloated as shit because you've drank oh, yeah. like two liters of eggnog. But no, it's a uh, it's worth a drink. I think next time you hear Kurt, it's chicken fried steak and eggnog night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too bad it's a, it's a spring and there's no eggnog on the shelves. <laughs> we only get 30 noggy days till the government takes it away again. <laughs> Hank and Gary are in the car and they're driving back home. At least Hank thinks they're going home. But they stop a little bit sooner than he might have expected. And they stop off the side of the highway at Hank's favorite late night television program. Oh, my God. With my absolute favorite pastor. <laughs> We're celebrating a special birthday today. Does anyone know his name? He's almost 2,000 years old, but he's still going strong. I think we should give him a round of applause because he's working on his birthday. <laughs> Is that Toby Huss? I was just racking my brain right there trying to think, but I think it's Toby Huss and, like, doing his best, like, Bruce Buffer impersonation. <laughs> like, he's introducing Jesus. Like, he's about to just have the heavyweight bout. I just love how he says birthday. <laughs> birthday. And you know what? I'd be interested to see what your list of your favorite pastors are, Dustin. I mean, I, this is obviously your number one, but I'd like to see what, like, number two, three, maybe four are. 
Yeah, I'm hungover a lot. Watch a lot of daytime <laughs> religious programs. I'm only hungover when we do this podcast, okay? <laughs> we do this on the weekend. <laughs> but Hank and Gary, they really have a moment at the Canvas Cathedral. Um, Gary, Gary explains to Hank that he's known all along why Hank went blind. And I, my favorite line in the episode where he goes, I know that you saw your mom and I on the kitchen table and I'm not flattered it made you go blind. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, like, he says to Hank, like, I'm, it's unfortunate that you saw that. I didn't want you to see that, but like, I, you're, I, I care a large deal about your mom. She means so much to me. And uh, the preacher man asks, Is this man your son? I'd like to think maybe one day. Yeah, well, I guess that would be an all right way to be thinking. It's like, for the first time in the series, Hank, like, realizes that he could have some sort of, like, father-son relationship in his, you know, in, like, in his 40s and into his 50s because, like, he's not just bound to call and screaming at him anymore. And it's a real moment. He he's finally sees eye-to-eye with Gary and then knows that his intentions are pure and that maybe Hank could benefit from the, this relationship instead of just shunning it without any real thought or consideration. And it kind of seems like Hank is almost getting a little better at uh, expressing his emotions or at least letting them out because normally he'd have some sort of voice crack or uh, noise that he'd make if there's Rub his neck. Yeah, he'd have something that uh, would, you know, kind of show that he's uncomfortable in this situation. But that was kind of, it's actually kind of nice. It was nice. And then just right before the preacher man's about to slap him on the back and say, uh, give this man his sight back. Hank gets his sight back. And it's actually, I love that little bit where he, he Hank reaches his hand up and grabs yeah. it. It's like, no, it hangs back to his old self right away. Like, I'm not letting this fucking highway weirdo fucking, <laughs> fucking touch me. He goes, I can see. And Gary, like, I love how Gary would just kind of winks and was, I knew you could do it. Like, Gary knew it was just such a fabricated blindness. And all he had to do was sit down with Hank for a minute and bullshit with him and straighten him right out. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that, like, um, so actually two things. First of all, right after it deleted scene, right after the, um, the preacher cures Hank of his blindness, mm. he turns around to the camera and says like, or he turns around to like one of his assistants and just kind of goes like, Oh baby, I got the power back. Like it's all, <laughs> I'm feeling it today. Like he what? thought he did it. That was a deleted. That scene? was a deleted. Oh, okay. Scene. Yeah. And then, uh, but all, I was also wondering about this scene just in general. Cause like, so obviously faith healing is bullshit. Obviously canvas cathedrals are bullshit. Uh, Canvas Cathedral, I I think, just kind of assume, just means like somebody set up like a temporary kind it's like a, of like a gypsy healer. They it's just like a drive gypsy, from town to yeah, town and exactly. pop up shop so, on the fucking side of the highway. I don't think uh, calling your cathedral the Canvas Cathedral. I don't think anybody would do that. I, it's it's very derogatory it to the word cathedral. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> like uh, yeah, but um, but anyway. So I like obviously it's bullshit. Obviously this guy can't heal anybody with this stuff, and obviously Hank never believed it. And Gary saying he knew about the table, like, he, you know, like, he feels like he knows that, like, Hank has just been lying to him. He doesn't like him. So, like, I want to know if when Gary made the thought process to go to take him to the Canvas Cathedral, was he thinking, like, Hank will see this as a gesture of me attempting or will, or was he honestly thinking that Hank might be cured by this because he believes in it? 
No, it's. I think it's the first thing for yeah. sure. Like he he saw because he, Hank even says like well, that's a really nice uh, offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he wanted to. He saw an opportunity to give Hank this gesture that on Christmas Day he probably could not find anywhere else in the Canvas Cathedral. That's probably true. There's all there's like Tim Hortons isn't even open on Christmas, man. Yeah. Like yeah, it's bullshit. It is bullshit. <laughs> I went oh, on fucking Christmas 2011. I drove around to every single Tim Hortons in town, and not a single one was open. <laughs> just need a double double, y'all. <laughs> so yeah, I think you boys are right. It is just uh, Gary going through the motions for Hank, just to get the time with him, and putting him on the spot like that is kind of the only way you're gonna get Hank to sit still and listen to you. And this uh, this kind of wraps up the episode uh, in a nice way, because it is a Christmas themed episode, and it ends with Hank accepting another member into his family, or at least considering it. And uh, Gary drives him home to spend the rest of the Christmas with the family. Um, and I love that even Christmas morning, the guys are in the alley drinking beers <laughs> without their families. I mean, Bill and Boomhauer, I get it, but I guess I get it for Dale also. All right, this makes perfect sense. <laughs> it was funny. I, I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but like the opening scene where they're all setting up their Christmas lights, you don't see Dale setting up his Christmas lights. You know, he's got some weird, crazy reason that the government wants him to put Christmas <laughs> lights up or something. So like, as far as Dale is concerned, he just doesn't even like celebrate Christmas. <laughs> And, like, the other thing I just kind of thought about right now is the fact that when they are just standing in the alley, like, there's no real signs of it being, like, the guys are all dressed the exact same way they always dress. Like, it's not even, like, Bill has, like, a jacket on. He's still in dirty old tank top. Like, there's no snow on the ground. So, like, it's, it's a Texas. Yeah, I suppose so. You probably don't get much much snow, eh? Well, like, but I don't he, think they well, get any. But Kerman's right, though, because that was kind of a, a missing scene, right? Because the Halloween episode... Everyone wore jackets and overcoats because Lays with Beef always wanted to bring it up how it was new animation and new things, right? Like they always had jackets on, and this would be traditionally colder than Halloween. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, like maybe the snow, you make a good point, but I'm like, yeah, for sure. Like it may not get super cold in Texas, but I imagine it's got to be get cold enough for them to be like, yo, it's time to put a jacket on. Oh, it gets cold. Yeah, it does. I mean. Or at least let have one of them have like a nice, uh, like funny Christmas sweater to be wearing. Like yeah. like Dale with like a dead deer or whatever like for hunting or something like or like well Bill I could even I mean Santa Claus is his is <laughs> yeah his, right is his hero at least let him put a hat on or something I think we'll get enough of that later yeah that's the thing I was gonna say is like King of the Hill follows Simpsons in like a lot of their footsteps with having like a Halloween episode and a Christmas episode each season but they don't follow it religiously and they don't get so overboard with it that like the following Christmas specials that we see in King of the Hill they are a lot more in tune to Christmas, like every like kind of uh, transition music has like a like a bell or a jingle to it. And I like that they didn't go overboard and try and just overcommit. They made it more about the plot line of Hank and Hank and his mom and his dad or I, stepdad. I think that that is interesting. And, and I, I run into this problem often whenever I decide to rewatch The Simpsons. That first episode on the DVDs is the Christmas one. And it is so Christmas that unless... It's it maybe November, like I'm not. I don't really want to watch it. You know what I mean? It's like Elf was a funny movie, but I don't want to watch that if it isn't Christmas time. But like Die Hard is a great Christmas movie that I can watch all year round because Christmas is secondary. Same with this. Like yeah. I can I can totally appreciate this episode as just a King of the Hill episode adjacent to Christmas. Yeah, it just happened to be Christmas while this happened. Exactly. 
Exactly. Weird. And it's it's it is kind of refreshing, and yeah, I th- I thought it I thought it worked really good. But they finally get back to the alley, Kerman, and uh, the guys. I think they're they're unaware that Hank uh, Hank has his sight back. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they're they're still they think he's blind, so they're just continuing on right where they left off when they were watching. When they were watching sports and their shitty fucking jokes, <laughs> yeah. I believe Bill's line was, "Hey Hank, you have no pants on." <laughs> like as if even if he wasn't like was still blind, he would be unaware of the fact that he does not have pants on. <laughs> and uh, but no, I think he comes out of that truck and like he said, when he sees some ass, he is going to be whooping it. Man, good with that dang old, old stick, man. He would have walking like he can see again, man. Like, can't kind of look at no bookie, man. Hey, ain't got a sight, man. Run. Yeah. Yeah. still like shorting out in their brain trying to think of that they oh well he's still blind but i like that um gary still drove home it's like I, i'm pretty sure that they did that for the assumption that he can pull up to the alley and they're gonna start chirping him and hank can come out because if hank was driving they would have been like oh hank got his sight back that i totally didn't even consider that it's yeah, because funny nobody drives hank's truck if hank's able-bodied you know what maybe hank didn't have his license and maybe hank wasn't driving without his license that probably makes the most sense he probably never even thought to take his license with me and we all know Hank's an Eagle Scout. He's not. He's not. He's not breaking any rules. No. So, after our final scene of the episode, it's time to take a little bit of a reflective look back on uh, what we've learned from this episode. And as we did with the last episode, we've been trying to uh, take a look into Hank's book that he wrote, "The Boy Ain't Right." And uh, pulling out some passages and kind of relating them to the episode. So for this episode, we are doing the passage. When your child should see you naked by Hank Hill. As a father, you have to make many difficult decisions. One of the most important decisions a father needs to make is deciding when and if you should let your children see you in the natural state. For newborn sons, the best time would be the first few days of his life before his eyes are developed fully. (laughs) The doctors tell me in the first few days, baby boy's eyes have a hard time seeing much of anything and don't remember much of what they see anyway. From there on out, the nudity should only come from your child and only during the changing of diapers or bathing, both of which are often best accomplished in the capable hands of your wife. For daughters who develop more rapidly than boys, all rules are off. Nudity has no place in your relationship. This applies also to other family members, especially those that are not blood-related. Look at the 60s. People got naked and we lost a war. Remember to just use common sense. If someone can see you, then you shouldn't be naked. Simple enough. If they can't see you, try to keep a towel on. We don't need another Vietnam. (laughs) (laughs) That book is really uh, coming in handy so far. and Lots of useful info in there. Absolutely. Hoping to uh, look back on that some more. I had never considered when I would allow my potential children to see me naked, and now I'm glad I know. Yeah, the uh, answer is mostly never. <laughs> it's always never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on to our final thoughts of the episode and uh, start with our guest here, Dances with McDoubles. Thank you, Dustin. Uh, as far as this episode goes... Um, I like the idea of the episode more than I like the actual episode itself. I mean, like, the fact is, nowadays, there's a super common thing that people have to deal with is when their parents get split up 
and mom brings home a new boyfriend or daddy brings home a new wife and then they have to adapt to them and try and and like even if they're the nicest guys in the world you still have that resentment to them because they're not your mom or dad so that to me was like i said the concept of the episode is what i liked more than the episode itself i thought the episode was a was a little bit weak in general but the idea of the episode itself i think is what was really strong about it and yeah i was that's pretty much where i i mean like it's always great when you have cotton in the episode so like for me i would probably give this episode maybe a six out of ten and cotton definitely scored a few points for this episode <laughs> yeah it's uh it's well put um i'd have to i'd have to agree with you it is a little bit dated in the in the concept um but i also want to agree with what you guys said earlier how i like that christmas is kind of underplayed and it's not a full-on christmas episode what i look at this episode and i see is it's Gary's introduction, right? Like, it's his introduction to the family and to us. And I really like him as a character, mostly just because of his relationship with Bobby. And hearing a little tidbit, like, we're going to see more of them together. I am pumped for that. So, overall, it's not one that I'm going to watch probably ever again. Uh, so, I will give it three hiccups and scare him away with faith <laughs> I, I mean I like I like this one I thought it I, I agree that um, the concept of Hank going blind walking in on his mom his mom and her gentleman lover I think that that's a really funny sell and I think that that's a lot funnier in the room discussing it than maybe it played out on screen um, in terms of jokes, I do think this episode has a lot of heart, and I love that we get a vulnerable Hank. Um, I like that he's, I like that he's vulnerable, like that he can't do, he can't see again, he can't do anything. I mean, if it had less Gary and Tilly, uh, the blindness might have gone a little bit further. I think we would have maybe seen some real him really suffer at work or like. His friends may have been a little bit better at playing pranks on him. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I like this episode. Um, I'm going to give it a 2020 vision. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I like this episode. It's what I would consider like a utility episode almost. Like it served the purposes, the purpose of introducing Hank's mom and Gary and kind of building the relationships. And also I think it did a lot for Bobby in this episode. It's, I've said this before many times, but it's not one that I would show to somebody, you know, who's who's new to King of the Hill. But it, it serves its purpose, like uh, Denim says. It has a lot of heart. It gives credence to King of the Hill being like a an all encompassing show. I feel not just trying to be slapstick all the time. And no, I liked it. I the the voice cameos were great. I mean, for our generation, Carl Reiner and Tammy Wynette don't really mean anything. But at Carl Reiner's pretty sweet. He is, I but mean, I mean, we all not love Ocean's Eleven. I mean, we love Carl Reiner, but like <laughs> in the 1970s, these two were like the pillars of Hollywood, and now in their uh, golden age, that they're 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 finding time to do voice acting for Mike Judge and Greg Daniels. So I think it just gives more credence to like how, like you know, the sway that they have and and the the people that they can bring into it, and I really enjoyed that. And once again, their voice guests keep within the theme of like a southern show, right? Like it's just you know. Tammy Wynette's the, the queen of country music, essentially, but I liked it. Yeah. 
And just to briefly kind of touch on what you said, Dan, it's something I actually did want to mention. It slipped my mind, though. But it is a, a good context of having Hank go blind when he sees his parents mm-hmm. doing activity. Because let's be honest. <laughs> in the throes of activity. In the, because growing up, once you're old enough to even know what sex is, that is like probably one of your biggest fears as a child. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the biggest fear. <laughs> yeah. I re- Yeah. Yo, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to get into this. <laughs> Roll Q Q-ta- Tammy. Let's get us out of here. All right, now let's uh, finish this episode oh, off. Oh, <laughs> oh, I'm thinking about I need, it. I need bleach for my brain. Damn you, Mashver. <laughs> Can I get one final round table? We've Italia. We've Italia. Roll music, roll music, roll music. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to be a woman Giving all your love to just one man You have bad times And you have good times Doing things that you don't understand But if you love him You'll forgive him Even though he's hard to understand on Facebook at Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Catch new episodes every Sunday night. Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact us by email at utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please, no hate mail. Hey, what's your crying for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.